Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Today, I want us to chat a little bit about two things. I want to talk about one thing, and then I want to talk about how that one thing connects to another thing, making two things. But if we don't get the one thing right, the second thing won't matter. So the one thing is what we want to talk about being the main thing before we get to the second thing. Are you with me? Because I'm not with me. But I promise you that sounded great when I thought about it. So we want to talk about one thing for a little bit this morning. So now as an umbrella over everything we're going to talk about here for the next few minutes is this one piece of scripture. Guys, go ahead and pull it up on the screen. If you leave it a bit longer uh, than last hour, it'd be cool. We've had a packed house at 930 and then here at 11. But this first text is Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. And in Philippians chapter 3, a guy by the name of Paul is writing to one of his churches that he, he's shepherding and, and leading. And in the third chapter and the 13th verse in Philippians, here's what Paul writes. Brothers. Now, that word is, is not literal as in you are my sibling. It is, it is spiritual in that you're, you're my sibling because both of us are part of the family of God. And the way we become a part of the family of God is we accept the gift that God gives us in the person of Jesus when we ask him to come into our life and clean us up and make us new. And so because of that, the minute that's done, then God literally grafts us into his family. We get to sit at the big person table at Thanksgiving with God. We're a part of the immediate family. And that's why Paul starts everything with, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now the power in this, just leave it up for a minute, guys, is this, this statement that says, I do not consider that I have made it. Now what Paul is literally saying, if you break that text all the way down to his original language, Paul is saying, I don't consider that I've done this on my own, nor that I've arrived. He's saying, I recognize my entire life as a climb. We've been on this series all through the month of January, The Climb, and this is the last Sunday in The Climb. You know, you can get all the resources, the, uh, the sermons, the, the podcasts, the blogs, the Four for Fridays, all that stuff is in one resource hub online here. And I would encourage you to share them and go back and use them on your climb. And so he says, I don't consider that I, I've done this on my own. What Paul is laying out is this basic teaching that none of us get to make it on our own. There's a part in where we have to take a step. There's a part in which we have to do our part. But he's saying, I know God is always faithful to do his part, not, not me. I didn't make it to the summit of my climb on the own and then, my own. And then he says, but this one thing I do, this one thing, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward, to what lies ahead. Now watch this. He's saying, so I cannot allow my past to determine my present, and I cannot allow my past to dictate my future. I know I can't do this on my own. I know I need help to get to the summit, and I know when I get there, who will have helped me. Now, if you're like me, I need help in summiting in my climb. My life's climb has been, I've had some incredible highs on a mountaintop, watching the sunset rise, and you just had that moment where it was like, oh, right? But you know, I've had those other moments when I got to, to the valley and it was like, Lord, okay, really? I've just had all this junk I can take. I am tired of wallowing in a valley. You gotta pull me out. I mean, we've all had that, haven't we? So as an umbrella to all this teaching, let's recognize Paul teaching that says, we can't do it on our own. We, we can't summit on our own. It's not under our strength, not our power. It's not our will. What he's saying is I'm gonna forget my past and move forward. Now this is important because many of us are wallowing in our past. We have hung on to a failure that we've had either personally or professionally or relationally. We're hanging on to something and making the assumption that God's still hanging on to it too. Now watch this. We have, we, we have this earth and it is sitting on an axis that has a north and a south pole, right? Nod with me, you with me? Okay, now it doesn't have an east and west, west pole. 
It has a north and a south pole. God has this unbelievable promise that when we come to his son Jesus and say, I need you to forgive me of my selfishness and my sin in this life, his faithful promise is that he takes those past sins and throws them as far as the east is from the west. Why not north and south? Because if you threw them from to the north, there's a resting place. If you threw them to the south, there's a resting place. God is saying, don't get stuck in your past because I want you to climb on to your future, but I'm going to forgive you of your past when you ask me to, and I'm going to throw those sins as far as the east is from the west, which means there is no place they can stick. They're gone. So why hang on to your past when the Savior says, I'm done with them? You see, when we come to him and say, forgive me my past, I, I totally made a mess of my life. And God says, I know, I watched you. Oh my gosh, you're stupid. How could you not have heard what I told you to do the first time? And we're like, oh, well, you know, uh, I was busy, God. And he's like, I know, I saw you. And all the while he's saying, but I love you. I had a plan for you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. I have a desire for you. I have a goal for you. I've got a climb for you. I've got a call on your life to come trust me and walk with me. Join me in my purpose. Let's go. The psalmist is saying in this verse something that's pretty cool. He's saying, I want to be God's kid. I want to be God's child. Now, how do I know that? Because this is what he says. I want to dwell in the household of God. Now, what that means is, it's just I, when, when our kids all come home, I mean, the dogs, the kids, the grandkids, the whole deal, it is a zoo. I am telling you, we are, it is, it's, it's one of those uh, like sitcoms that you know you're laughing at, but it's mildly inappropriate, you know what I'm saying? Because of just that much dysfunction. So when all of our kids get on the same floor, it's a disaster. But you know what, when it's awesome, we love it. You know why? They're our kids. And when our kids come and they get into our house, we love it. You know what happens when they leave? We're so glad they're gone. Isn't that awesome? Well, I am. Jenny usually crying up, I miss them. And I'm thinking, yeah, but let's, once we clean this up, we're done for the week. <laughs> but in the middle of all that, he says, I want to be God's child. What he's saying is, I want, to be, I want to be welcome in God's house. I want to be welcome in his kingdom. What he's saying is, I don't, I don't want to be a part of a church. I want to be a part of God's family. I don't want to be a part of a denomination. I want to be part of God's family. I don't want to be part of some doctrine that somebody tells me what to believe. I want to trust God. What he's saying is, I, I, I want to live in the kingdom of God which means what you do here only prepares you to go live out there in the kingdom of God. Now, let me stop and say, if you're new around Sugar Hill Church, this might sound like an odd statement, but if you've been around a while, you've heard it said a lot. I believe with all my heart that you can love Jesus with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and you can be a normal man or woman out there in the real world and make a difference for Christ. You do not have to be a weirdo. And can I say, the, the world needs to take a break from weirdos. I mean, we need to take a break from folks shouting and screaming at us and hollering at us and tell us everything that's wrong with us and everything that's right with us. And I, I got to say to you, this concept of just splitting every issue down one side or the other is just way too stinking simple because that's not that easy. If we truly want to make America great again, what will happen is we will have a longing, passionate desire in our heart to live in the house of God. Because you see, America the great, America the beautiful, I'm for. And nobody loves the grand old flag more than I do. But if you really want to honor that country, we got to honor the country that it answers to, the kingdom of God. And we want to be a part of that family. So let's be a part of the family. You know, the second thing the psalmist says is, I want to enjoy God's blessing. What does he say? He said, I want to behold God's beauty. I, I want to see what that's like. Now, I'm one of those people that loves water. I don't care if it's an ocean or a lake or a river or a stream. I like water. When I'm around water, I feel alive. I totally love it. I mean, I grew up on the beach as a kid, totally love it. But, but listen to me. 
Beholding the ocean and the beauty and the grandeur of God's creation is not the same as beholding the creator who made it. I know plenty of folks who, who are like, well, you know, Chuck, I, I worship when I'm out on the lake fishing on Sunday morning. Well, how about that? Good for you. But Chuck, really, I tell you, you know, I, I get on that back porch and um, I open up Oprah's latest book. Man, she relates to me. I get it. I got her. I feel it. Good for you. But when did you spend time with the Creator? Not His creation, but the Creator. The psalmist is saying, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be that person. I, I want to recognize His beauty in my life. I want it to be in my life. I told you last week, if, if I, uh, I went back and watched it, and I thought, Lord, I mercy, I have no idea what I said. I was so emotional. But I was trying to describe the wonder of what it is to ask God not for blessing, but to ask God for a desire to long to, to chase after Him. And what I found is when you ask God to give you a heart to chase after him, you will run as fast as you can and the blessing comes after that and it'll blow your socks off. Man, just, this is what the psalmist is talking about. But he's also saying, meditate on God's word. What does he say? Inquire on the things of God. So I, I want to ask you this past week, 24 hours a day, how many minutes did you assign to being able to be in the household of God? How many minutes each day did you assign to spend time with this one thing, the presence of Jesus? You say, well, Chuck, I didn't come here to beat up. I, man, I promise you, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to encourage you that the greater amount of time you spend with the Creator, the greater amount of time you'll understand what the Creator has asked you to be and do. Folks say to me, you know, I just wish, Chuck, I could know what the Lord wants me to do. Okay, meditate on these things. The Word of God, the voice of God, and these things that He's called me to. Act on them, hear them, do something with them. And I'll promise you, God's not playing hide and seek from me. He, he can't wait for you to do this. One thing, total commitment to Christ. What's the one thing? What's this one thing? Throughout the scripture, we find all kind of one things. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21, here's what we read. And Jesus looking at him, and this is a wealthy young guy who's really successful, really powerful. These guys, this guy is a big cog in the synagogue. He's got it all going on. He's got plenty of money. And Jesus looks at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, lest, if, if you're new to the Bible, you're thinking, oh, I knew it was coming. He's all about that money. But let me just stop and say, this is not a sermon on money. And Jesus isn't speaking directly about money. Jesus is speaking to the one thing that separates that guy from having a lasting, meaningful, purposeful relationship with God, his creator, because what stands between this guy and God is a dollar sign. Do you know what we hear about this guy afterwards? That he simply walked away dejected and we never hear about him again. Now the assumption behind that is that he died without Christ and that's when we're in a mess. But see, if, if you hear this and all you hear is this is a dollar sign sermon, you've totally missed the point. I would ask you to take a look at this one thing that might be between you and God the Creator in your own life. Is it money? Is it a job? Is it an addiction? Is it a relationship? Is it trying to please people? Is it trying to be popular? What is it that might stand between you? What is that one thing that stands between you and this meaningful, purpose, purposeful life with God where He is assisting you, walking with you on the climb? When you're weary and exhausted, where do you turn? Where it is, what is that one thing that keeps you from being able to get over that climb, to summit life's climb? What is it? And he said to this one guy, here's the one thing that separates you from God, and that is your relationship to money. 
Now, let me, let me be sure that you hear me say this. We sang uh, a little earlier a song called My Victory. And, and right out of the gate, I love the verbiage of the song. It says that, that, that he loved us even when we were Pharisees and hypocrites. Isn't that a beautiful part of that song? And aren't you glad? I mean, just do this a minute. Just look around at the people sitting around you. Go ahead. Even if you don't know them, just be weird. You look around. It's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Look around. You know what you see? Hypocrites. They're everywhere. I mean, they're... It, if, if you wouldn't be a hypocrite, if you weren't in church, you wouldn't be a hypocrite. But, but you are in church and you're messed up, so you're hypocrites. Welcome, I'm like the chief of you. I got it. Aren't you glad he loves you in spite of all that junk? Yeah. Then this would give us more reason in which we would want to chase after him. Jesus is saying to this guy this one thing. If you look into Luke's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 42, it says, but one thing, you see this recurring theme? This one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, here's the context. Jesus is hanging out with his best friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. He's hanging out in their home. They're just chilling. They're enjoying life. And Jesus is kind of pouring his life into them. But there's only two people in the room. There's Lazarus and there's Mary. And Mary is at his feet, literally worshiping, taking in everything that he has for them. The divine has stepped into their home to pour into them their life. Martha's cleaning pots in the kitchen. She's scrubbing pots. She's trying to clean the cap cabinet. She's trying to order up all the spices. She's trying to make sure it's all good. The Amazon pantry is ordered all up to date. She's got it all going on in there. And then Jesus says, but now watch this. But this one thing, one thing is needed, and Mary is doing that one thing. You know what he's saying to Martha? I think it's great that you work hard, Martha. I think it's great that you're, 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 you're trying to strive to, to do all you can do. But this one thing is keeping you, Martha, from experiencing what Mary is experiencing by putting Jesus in the right priority of your life. Listen, I think the people who work hardest in America ought to be followers of Jesus. The people that ought to be more honest at work than ever before are people that claim to be followers of Jesus. But listen, when our work becomes more important to us than time with the divine, our work will inevitably collapse and fall on us. Because we've got to be built on something more than our vocation. If my work as your pastor and running the life of the church becomes more important to me than my time with the divine at a personal level, this church will fail miserably and will become one of the almost 400 a week that closes doors for good. Because you see, the power found in creating a life's climb and summiting that life's climb is found only in the presence and the power and provision of Jesus our Lord, period. None other, no other place, no other person. And so Martha is missing it. But Jesus goes on, and, and over in the Gospel of John, John writes this personal reflection where he says, he answered whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Here's what John is talking about. John is saying, okay, that guy over there, I don't really know to what degree he's a sinner. I mean, he might be, he might be totally whacked out. Like he might be like center squared, you know? But, but all of a sudden John does this unbelievable thing in his life. He says, but as for me, I once was blind, I couldn't see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And what he's saying is, we need to take our eyes off of everybody else and put our eyes on the one that created us so that this journey makes sense and we can summit the climb. But to do so, we gotta stop finding what's wrong with everybody else and start looking in the mirror and try to deal with what's wrong with us. Because you see, we're not gonna heal America with placards and signs and megaphones. We're not gonna fix America with pitchforks. We're gonna fix America when our heart has Christ sitting on the throne of our heart, nothing less, nothing more.
period. Now, if you're going to clap, clap. But if, don't be doing any golf claps now. But the fact is, John is saying, I really don't know how messed up Carl is, but I'm pretty sure Carl's messed up. I mean, I know Carl. He is messed up. He married Diane, and he got more messed up. Right? Good answer, Carl. Good answer, buddy. Yeah, Carl's like, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, and Diane said, like, you better not know about that. By the way, she has a meeting. If you want to know how to, how to be a part of a life-changing experience, at 1215, uh, down in our office area, uh, Diane's having a meeting about our three Haiti trips. If you want to do something that will rock your world, do that. Make sure you jump on that, all right? But let's, let's stop pointing out what everybody else's fault, and let's look on our own heart and be able to say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. When I think about that, I think to myself, J Jesus knew how to fix the guy's blindness, but he also knew how to heal his heart. Isn't that a most beautiful picture? All of us need to have our own personal knowledge and understanding of what Jesus has done for our life and then, be, then just be gloriously proud about sharing that. I once was blind, but now I see. Every person in America, whether they follow Jesus or not, knows amazing grace. It's like every country music show known to man, somebody sings another rendition of amazing grace. And, they, they, and it's really crazy it's how good they can make it sound. It just blows my mind. And, you know, I, I, I love to sing it, too. I can't sing a lick. When I sing it, I just sing it, you know? But isn't it beautiful that, that this is what we know? What we know is, uh, I don't know about that guy, but I know about me. And John's saying, this one thing, I got to get right. I got to get him right in me. Go back, to, go back to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Paul says, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do, I do this to reach the goal that God has for me. You see, this is why God sent Jesus here. Yes, to forgive us of our sin. Yes, to give us heaven. Leave that up there for a minute, guys. Yes, to do all those things. But listen, he also came to walk with us on the journey right now. He didn't come that we would avoid problems. He came to walk through problems with us. He didn't come to let us avoid troubles. He came to walk through troubles with us. But to do that, we've got to release our past and let it go. We've got to focus on our present and the power and the goodness of God and why he is here for us and that Jesus, this is his house that we've come into and he is roaming through these aisles now saying, come, follow me. And finally, we have to keep pressing toward an eternal summit and always moving forward. How do I know that's true? Because the climb sounds like this, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. Why? For the prize of who? Christ Jesus. If you're here today and your life's just out of whack and you're saying, man, I got, something's got to change. This is the goal. That on the climb, we let Jesus forgive you of your past. Let him control your present and let him guide you into your, your future. Toward the end of 20, 2016 and, I don't know, early December, I began this process of trying to figure out what's my one thing. That may sound like an oversimplification for you because, I mean, when I put a list of stuff that needs to be fixed in my life, it's a mile long. And I mean printed really smally. We're talking about a seven font, Times New Roman, single spaced double column. Some of y'all are like me because I know you. You're just as messed up as I am. And some of you are just really close to perfect. And all two of you are awesome. <laughs> By the way, none of them sit on that side this hour. 
So I put a list of about 100 things that I thought, boy, these are some, these are some characteristics, these are some traits, these are some promises, these are some hopes that I would like to define me this year. I whittled those 100 down to about 10. And of those 10, I mean, there, uh, it were, th- there were things like sacrifice, I want to be sacrificial. Uh, there were things like gracious, I, I don't want to be a jerk, I want to be gracious. Uh, I want to be generous. Uh, I want to be patient. I, I put a pretty good list of stuff together, none of which I've arrived at, I promise you. But I landed on this one world, this one word, and the one word I ran on for me was courage. I, w- I wanted the courage to, to put my wife in the right priority in my life, not to try to please you or anybody else over her. I wanted, I wanted to put our children in the right priority in our life because I, I, I want to I be a good daddy. Someday when I die, I want my girls to be able to say, I'm telling you, my dad loved God. I want to be a good granddaddy. Man, ain't nothing like that. I want my grandkids to run up and jump in my lap and call me pop and love me and do silly stuff the rest of my life. I want to be a courageous pastor who makes decisions based on what the Lord tells me to do, not what popular opinion tells me to do. I want to be a courageous leader that will make difficult decisions based on the presence and the power of God, not based on what some business book taught me. What's your one word? You say, well, Chuck, maybe it's not that easy. Well, I think it is when you draw this connection between this one thing and rocks. Throughout Scripture, all across the Old Testament, what, what they told you to do was when we saw God had done something special or that God had just done something special or was about to do something special, this phrase is used hundreds of times, literally, which is build an altar. And an altar in the Middle East, if, when you travel to the Middle East, you see them all over the place. It's a little stack of stones. It's about that high. And, and, and if you're wondering, well, how do they find all those stones? If you travel in the Middle East, I mean, you, there's never a step without rock. I mean, it's nothing but rock. And, and so they would say, build this altar. Now, when we hear that, we think, okay, that's freaky. We don't do that now. But an altar is something that reminds you of what God has done, promises you in the present of what he will do, and continues to remind you of what he's going to do. So when I said my word was courage, I took this piece of rock and a Sharpie, I dated it on the back, and just wrote courage. It's my altar. You say, well, what is an altar? It's something that reminds me of what God has done, assures me of what God is doing, and promises me what God is going to do, to grant into this life, because of my request before him, courage. What's your word? This maybe help guide you in that direction. Job in chapter 19, the story of Job is this guy's going through misery, man. And here's what he says. Oh, that my words were written. Courage. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Maybe a rock. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. Job is saying, you need to remember this. When the times are bad, remember them so that when times are good, you can celebrate. When times are good, remember when they were bad. When you're in the middle of a transition, remember the presence of God. Build an altar. What's your one word? What are you going to claim your rock to be? What's your altar going to say about you in this journey? The psalmist said in chapter 40 of the Psalms, verse 2, he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a, you say it with me, rock making my footsteps firm. He brought me out of the junk. He cleaned me up. He made me new. He put my feet on a rock. He put my feet on the rock of my salvation, the rock of ages. He put my feet on something that will not slip, will not let go, and has got me firmly. 
The psalmist had it right. This one thing is to get my life on the rock. This one thing is to take the rock of my salvation and put it in the right position of my heart. The, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 26, verse 4, says this, Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting, say it with me, rock. How great is that? I mean, look at this text. He, he only is my rock and my salvation. You know, what that, you know what he's really saying? That the psalmist is saying, God alone is where my feet will not stumble. God alone is where I will not, I will not get, get bogged down in the mire of this life. I will not drown. I will be standing on firmness on him, on his word, on his promise, on his power, on his goodness. Oh, and guess what? I'm not going to be shaken. When the times get bad, I can trust him. When the times are great, I can praise him. When I'm in the middle of the junk, I can praise him. I can trust him. I can worship him. Because he is always faithful. He is the rock of my salvation. Psalm chapter 78, verse 35, and they remembered an altar. They remembered that God was there, say it with me, rock. And the most high God, their redeemer. Oh, and then Matthew in his gospel, chapter 7, beginning of verse 24, therefore whoever hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the, say it with me, rock. So now, you might be tempted to miss the first part of Matthew's writing. Jesus is teaching. Matthew has recorded his teaching. Jesus is talking that you and I, we can be compared to a wise man who built his family, his life, his career, his home, his faith on the rock of ages, the solid rock, Jesus alone. And, and, and Jesus is saying, hey, you guys out there in 2017 in Sugar Hill, when you build your life on that solid rock, we are going to consider you wise like the man who did this as well. I don't know if any of us want to go through life and be dummies. I don't think anybody woke up in the morning and their prayer was this, Lord, it would be awesome if you could just give me a heavy dose of stupid today. Every morning I ask for wisdom. You know why? The, the scriptures say if you ask for it, you'll get it. And some of you are thinking, Chuck, you need to pray more. You too. <laughs> then the text goes on and says, And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Man, I got to tell you, you know what my life needs? You know what our lives need? We need our life to be grounded on the rock, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the redeemer, the savior, the healer strong tower run into his arms this is what this is what he's saying you know I mentioned earlier that I I struggle with my one thing and I came up with this con this concept of courage and I started I started looking at every Bible hero you could ever find realizing I would never be a hero much less be in the in the same universe of conversation with them but I did find something so comforting all of them had failed miserably at something they had just totally just messed up their life King David killed bear, killed, killed lion, killed Goliath, greatest king known of all the, the nations of Israel. And he was a murderer and a cheater. I mean, I, do, I, do I need to go on any further? I mean, every one of these cats had some measure of failure, but they had the courage found in the solid rock to keep going to get past their faults into the courage that God had to pull them along, that they could celebrate his goodness. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to go into a season of meditation with me right now. Now, if you're new around here and think, okay, this is too weird, 
just kind of hang in there. Just look around. Just look at all the other weird people. Just hang in there. But I'm going to invite you to go into seasonal meditation. Now, I've done this two or three times during this series, and I've kind of let you into my little private world here about meditation. And so, so you're not fearful, but you know what's headed in your direction. Uh, I'm going to ask you to take a minute. We're going to take some breaths. That use a kind of like a wall that separates us from where we're at to where the, the mindset the Lord wants us to be in. And then we're going to thank the Lord for who he is. And then we're going to ask the Lord to start speaking into our lives and reassuring our heart and our ears and our mind and our soul. What's our word? Maybe it'll be a word for, uh, for healing for you, for some of you, for comfort for some of you. Maybe, like you, it's, it's more of an admonition like mine. Courage, live courageously. Maybe it's with hope or with peace or with salvation. Some of you are never going to get this concept of meditation because the one thing that we haven't worked on yet in your life is you saying, I know that the Bible says if I call on the name of the Lord, I'll be saved. But you've never done that before. and You've never trusted Jesus to become your Savior. You've never accepted the fact that he died for you and rose from the dead for you to pay for selfishness and sin for all of us. And we've never said, Jesus, come into my life, be my Savior, make me new, clean me up. I want to live for you, not for me anymore. And I accept that you died for me and rose for me to create in heaven as a home for all who believe and a life abundant here on earth. And if that's the desire of your heart today, then I'm just going to ask you just to take a minute when we begin to pray, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you say it silently in your heart. And you just follow me. And if, that, if that's it, let's get rid of that one thing and get you on track. Some of you have been saved for 50 years. I met a guy in a meet and greet room from the end of 930 service. And he came up to me. He's got tears in his eyes about my age, late 50s. And uh, he said, you know what? God broke my heart today. He said, I have, I have been a follower of Jesus since I was 10 years old. And I have never done a thing for him. He pulled his rock out of his pocket and right across it in big letters was service. He said, I'm going to do something for Jesus this week. I met another guy. He and his wife, third time that they'd been here. Pulled the rock out. And you know what his was? Better husband. You know what hers was? Good wife. And they had no idea. I promise you, God's not trying to hide and seek from you. He wants to speak wisdom and truth into your life. We just have to hush long enough to let him speak so we can hear. Would you join me? Just bow your head and close your eyes. I know there's no magic in the eyes and the head thing. I get that. Draw a deep breath in through your nostrils. Let it out. Do it again. There's nothing magical about this breath. It's simply an ability to kind of draw a line from going from teaching to hearing. Thank God for something right now. Whatever it is in your life, just thank God. Could be big, could be small, just thank God. Tell him what you're grateful for. Just tell him, just God, I'm so grateful for, and then just fill in the line. Think of something in your life or a friend's life that they need. Maybe it's healing, maybe it's a job. Maybe it's health in a marriage. Maybe it's a kid to come home. Whatever it is, pray for whoever that is that the Lord's laid on your heart. And then just say, Lord, I, would you give me, would you give me my word? Whatever that is, would you give me my word? Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's strength. Maybe it's forgiveness. Patience. Kindness. Love. Joy. 
action, service, calling, obedience, submission. Be comfortable with quiet. Kind of settle, settle in your seat and let, let God speak into your life. What is it that he's, what's the one thing he's calling you to memorialize on the rock of ages today? And maybe you're sitting here today and say, you know, check out, I don't hear anything. Then maybe let's go back to square one and your prayer sound like this. And you just pray it silently in your heart again. Lord Jesus, forgive me and come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. Thank you for dying and raising for me. It's payment for my sin. I want to live for you. I want to turn my life around. Thank you for hearing me and saving me today. Nobody's looking around, so if that's the prayer and the desire of your heart today, just raise your hand so I can see you. just want to pray for you. Yeah, amen, amen, amen. All over this room, amen. So when we settle that, now we've got the, we've got the right thing. Now let's figure out what the one thing is. And Lord, what is the one thing? Lord God, you've heard our voice and you've heard your people. You've heard your family and you've heard your church. Cry out to you and say, give us this one thing as a memorial to build an altar to the goodness and the greatness that you have in our lives. Speak into these folks today and give them wisdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.